Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Welcome again to Christ Central. Uh, Trevor just prayed. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. I'm glad you are worshiping with us on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I realize on a long holiday weekend, you could be many places besides here. Uh, you could be taking advantage of the beautiful weather that we have outside, and you could be on a hike right now. You could still be sleeping in your bed, but you're not. You're here. You could be at Press or Vin Rouge eating brunch. You could be watching and catching up on your latest TV show or watching the French Open. You could be traveling this weekend, but all of you have decided to be here, and we're grateful uh, that you've chosen to be with us. Uh, and if you're a, a new or recent guest, uh, I want to say welcome to you especially. And if I've not met you before, I would love to meet you. Uh, I uh, will be outside after the service, so please come by, say hello. Uh, I'd love to love to introduce myself and, and get to know you as well. Uh, but we're in a, a sermon series titled Living the Resurrection Life during Eastertide. Eastertide uh, is the 40 days after Easter Sunday. Uh, it will culminate next Sunday, which is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, in this series, we've been looking at the portion, uh, different portions of the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 1, it begins in verse 8 with the resurrected Jesus saying this to his people, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts is the story of the risen Christ's inbreaking kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. It's exciting for us, Christ Central Church, because living in light of the resurrection means that we are invited to be part of something so much larger than ourselves. Some, that life is about so much more than just our job or our major or our bank account. It's about more than just our families. We are part of a movement of God that is bigger than just our one church. It's beyond our city. It's a movement that's spreading to the whole world throughout all of time, anchored in hope because of the promised power of God working in and through us. That's exciting. And so for the past few weeks, we have read about the Apostle Paul's missionary travels in the book of Acts. And, and we have seen that the kingdom of God includes every tongue, tribe, and nation. That, there, that the, the kingdom of God is inclusive. It's open to any and all who would come, trust, and follow Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at more of Paul's travels. And we're going to continue to learn about how God works in the world. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as you, we give attention to God's word in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 9 through 15. This is God's word to us this morning. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, 
And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we might pay attention to what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that it would, any of my words would fall away quickly. Everything that you would say to us would be planted deep in our hearts. That would be ingrained upon our minds and we would meditate and be transformed because you have spoken to us. I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. Speak to us, Lord. We need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You get him a seat. Well, one of, one of the favorite kind of parts of my day is coming home and pulling into my driveway. For as soon as I hit the driveway, I normally see my family, if it's not raining, see my wife and our dogs running around all silly, and three of our boys acting like it's Lord of the Flies. That's what I kind of drive into. And my youngest son, who's two and a half, uh, is obsessed with Dada's car. For some reason, he loves my car. So as soon as I pull into the driveway, he starts running with this big old smile on his face down the driveway, Rachel, my wife, running after him to make sure he's safe. And he, he wants to get in Dada's car. He wants to drive Dada's car. So Rachel picks him up, puts him through my window. He gets in my lap. He puts his hands on the steering wheel and down the driveway he drives with this big old grin on his face until he puts it in park and pulls out the keys. Now, all of you who just heard that story, you know he's not the only one driving Dada's car, right? He's sitting in my lap. I'm pumping the brakes. I'm hitting the gas pedal if I need to. I, I will take over the steering wheel so we don't hit a tree. But he is driving the car, and so am I. He cooperates with me, though I'm the one who's really in control. He steers and directs. He puts it in park, but I will redirect and I'll press the brake if I need to. In the book of Acts, the risen Jesus sends out his people, the church, to be on his mission to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a cooperation between us and God as we participate with him in his mission. We have human abilities and responsibilities as God's people. Like my youngest son, we can turn the wheel. Yet at the same time, God is sovereignly in control and he will accomplish his purposes and his mission in this world. He'll pump the brakes and he'll redirect as he chooses. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. At times, this feels like a contradiction. It can be hard to wrap our minds around both of these things, but it's not a contradiction. As J.I. Packer states in his old and great book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, it's truly just an appearance of contradiction. These two theological truths, God's sovereignty and human responsibility are true at the same time. With God, there is no contradiction. Charles Spurgeon said when asked if he could reconcile these two truths, I would, I would never try. I never reconcile friends. See, like my son and I joyfully cooperate together to drive the car down the driveway. So are we invited by God to cooperate and to participate in his mission, to see his kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven, but make no mistakes about it. He is the one 
who builds and brings his kingdom. We see these two friendly realities operating in our text this morning. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go through the region of, Gal uh, of Galatia, Acts 16, verse 7, which is right before with a passage I just read, says this. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to, into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and there God gave Paul a, a vision of a man of Macedonia urging them to come to Macedonia. The sovereign Lord redirected Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He said no to their plans and made it clear where they were to go. I'm sure you've experienced God saying no before, where he makes something very clear by shutting a door that you wanted to walk through or opening a new door or, or opening a new path by which you are to walk on. And if we are in submission to God's loving and gracious care of us, God's no, it can give us incredible comfort. For we know he's in control and we know he's good, which means even if we can't comprehend it and understand it always, his no is good. God is sovereignly in control. And at the same time, Paul uses his gifts and abilities as he participates in God's mission. Right? Paul and Silas, Timothy, they go to Macedonia because God gave them this vision, but they decide to go to Philippi, which is a leading city of Macedonia. It's a Roman colony. In other words, it's a key city. It's a city of influence for the region. And once they arrive in Philippi, they decide to go by the river outside of town, which is, was the place of prayer, because it was Paul's habit to enter into cities and to begin sharing the good news of Jesus where the local Jews were worshiping. Now, normally this meant the synagogue, but there was no synagogue in Philippi, so he goes by the river to this outdoor worship service because there was no way Paul could walk onto Main Street of any major city in the ancient world and begin preaching about Jesus because the authorities would have snatched him up quickly. So he first goes to this worship service to people who are inquiring and seeking God, though they're not yet believers in Jesus. So my point is this, that Paul is being strategic. And he's using his human agency to make decisions as he participates with God on God's mission. And there by the river, he meets Lydia. Lydia is a God-fearing Gentile, meaning she had come to recognize something powerfully attractive about the Jewish faith. For Lydia, she had come to realize there was more to life than the pagan rituals and beliefs of the Roman society. And Lydia was a businesswoman who deals in purple cloth, which was the color of royalty, meaning she dealt in the top end of the market. She dealt with the wealthy and the elite. She was the Coco Chanel of Philippi. And through Paul's preaching, Lydia is converted to faith in Jesus, and she's baptized. But do you, did you catch who really did the converting? Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. Conversion is due to the work of God, not to Paul's skill. And it happens when, not when we open up our hearts, but when God intervenes and he changes the, the disposition of our hearts. It is the sovereign work of God that changes a heart that is turned away from God into a heart that loves God. God's sovereignty and human responsibility, two truths that can feel like a contradiction, but they're really friends. And they don't need to be reconciled because both are truths that can guide comfort and accompany us on God's mission. They really lay the foundation for us on God's mission. 
No, I just kind of laid this foundation. And so what I want to do next is I want to make two points on how God works in the world. God works upside down, and secondly, God works inside out. That's not the old tag team song. If you're an 80s child of the 80s and 90s tag team, upside down and inside out. I had that in my, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> this morning, I'm like going through my points. I'm like, that's, if you're a child of the 80s or 90s, you know that song. Um, but God works upside down, and secondly, God works inside out. Let's look first at God working upside down. The first thing here, and obvious thing that I think we have, we've got to point out, is that Lydia is a woman. And in the Jewish and Greco-Roman world, women were treated as those in, who were in low degree. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, regardless of this reality of, of women being treated in low degree, are, are talking openly in public to the women. And they're sharing the good news of Jesus, and Lydia becomes the first European convert to Christianity. Christians treating women with high regard doesn't come as a surprise. If you've read any of Luke's writings, you read his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he makes it clear there that, that women followed Jesus. Women were the first to see the empty tomb. Women were the first to declare that Christ had risen. The church was radical in how it welcomed and treated women in comparison to the culture of its day. Lydia shows us that Jesus came for the least of these. That, that Jesus came for the pushed out, the left out, or the pushed down. Which means the church as participant in God's mission is to love the least of these. We are to love those who are pushed out, left out, or pushed down in our society. And I'm not going to tell you what that exactly looks like for you, but I, I think I need to ask all of us, myself included, are there tentacles of your life? Some tentacles of your life in which you are engaging and loving on the least of these. When you look at how you spend your money or how you spend your time, when, when you look at what you do for work or what you do for play, do, do they show forth and reveal a love for those that are pushed out, left out, or pushed down by our society or in our city? The second thing we see about how God works upside down is revealed by the fact that Lydia is not just a woman, but Lydia is rich. She's rich. Luke, the, the author of Acts, does, she, he warns in other places the, to guard against the dangers of too many possessions. Right? In his gospel, the gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 25, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke warns a lot about the dangers of wealth. But Lydia in Acts 16 and, and others within the scriptures, it prevents us from becoming a church that too simplistically prefers the poor and marginalized while shunning the wealthy and influential. Dr. Will Willimon points out in his commentary on Acts that Celsus, the first pagan author who took the trouble to write a book to discredit Christianity, alleged that the church deliberately excluded educated and wealthy people because this faith... Celsus said, appealed only to the foolish, the slaves, women, and little children. Some people today might still hurl similar accusations that the church is for the not-so-intellectual or for the, the emotionally unhealthy or the financially burdened and stressed, it, that it's a place for the needy to look for a crutch. But what our passage in the book of Acts tells us is that the early church was not only multi-ethnic, it was multi-class. There was a socioeconomic diversity within the community of God. 
that there are gifts offered by the wealthy that uplift the poor, and there are gifts offered by the poor that uplift the wealthy. And so we have to be careful, each of us, in our own hearts to not prefer one sex socioeconomic class over another. We've got to guard against our preference for the, for the rich or our preference for the poor. Because the kingdom of God is not a, a community that's defined by our socioeconomic status. We're not defined by our poverty nor our wealth. We're defined by our identity of being in Christ and in Christ alone. God works upside down. A, a pastor friend of mine who is the senior pastor of a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee called Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, um, uh, was, I was talking with him recently uh, about the, the history of this church. If you know Lookout Mountain, uh, it's the mountain that is in both the state of Tennessee and in Georgia. Uh, and historically and somewhat true today, if you live in Chattanooga, Lookout Mountain is where the wealthy live. And, and Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church is now a church of thousands and thousands of people. And, and it has this amazing history of being a blessing to the city of Chattanooga. Uh, many people who make up this the church have given away tons of their resources. They've started foundations, started nonprofits and for-profit businesses. They've started schools with a desire to see the city and all in the city flourish. And again, just recently, I learned kind of how this happened. It was in the 1970s that God began to work in powerful ways on the mountain. The very powerful and influential and wealthy people on that mountain, God began to open up their hearts just like he did here in our passage with Lydia. And in profound ways, it, it led to a genuine revival where many of the most influential and wealthiest families of Chattanooga came to trust in Jesus. And it wasn't just a father or a mother, but who were converted like Lydia, households were changed, generations were changed. And as a result, these families for the past number of decades, they've, they've leveraged their resources and they've been extremely generous with their resources to love all the people of Chattanooga, to love the poor and the marginalized. That's a beautiful picture of the upside down kingdom. Wealth and poverty are part of one body where we do not despise the wealthy, nor do we despise the poor. In a world that builds walls around socioeconomic class, the kingdom of God is a community of low, middle, and upper income, one body united in Christ. The way God works in this world is upside down. And secondly, it's inside out. The first thing God does with Lydia is that he works in her interior life. Look at verse 14. He opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. God works on the interior. God opened her heart to pay attention See, when God works, he works in our hearts in a way that leads us to behold God and to behold his work in and around us, we pay attention. If you were to examine your life, how are you doing at paying attention to God's work in and around you? Oftentimes, we're, we're just too busy, we're, we're too rushed to see how God is at work. We, we move so fast through our days that we have no time to settle down and to reflect and to see how God has been at work in and around us throughout the entire day. The, the famous poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning comes to mind. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes 
The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. So listen, God uses ordinary means that become extraordinary because they're set afire with God's activity. We have God's word at our fingertips by which we can read at any moment we, we want or desire. And, and it's through the word of God that he speaks to us and he works in our life. We have God's beautiful and created world all around us by which he speaks to us. We have God's providence, which is, which is God's orchestrating of the circumstances of our lives. And it's through his providence that he speaks to us. The question is, are we paying attention? Are our lives so fast-paced that our souls are too unsettled that we're not paying attention to how God is at work? Gary Hagan is the CEO and the founder of International Justice Mission, IJM. In 2004, he, he began to sense a, a deeper call to lead IJM into, this, uh, into a deeper dependence on God and an awareness of God's presence as they were going through this incredible pace, a fast-growing pace as an organization. And he came off of a sabbatical, and Hagen felt the need to call IJM to begin each day with 30 minutes of silence. 30 minutes from 8.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. every day, every employee. No agenda, no reading, no writing, just pure silence. He instilled what is now known as 8.30 stillness. He gave every employee a journal with 8.30 stillness engraved on the cover. And this is what he said to IJM. He said, on any given day, stillness can be hard, even awkward, frustrating. We come to each day like a jar of river water that's been shaken. The water is murky. It's impossible to see through. But as the jar sits still, unmoved, the silt and sediment begin to settle. Clearer water emerges. So too in the stillness that enables solitude and silence, the mud and mire of our souls begins to settle and clarity emerges. It's so true. And I know that we're all used to fast-paced lives and technologically distracted lives. And I know that it, it can be hard for some of you to even be still for a few seconds or a few minutes in a, a, a service on a Sunday morning. So 30 minutes sounds crazy to you, but I, I want to encourage you that it's in stillness and silence that I believe we begin to learn to pay attention to how God is at work. It's in stillness and silence that our souls are, are settled enough to be able to, to behold how God is at work in the highs and in the lows of our days. It's in stillness and silence that we can hear God's word, enjoy God's world, and trust God's hand of providence. So what would it look like? for you to build intentional time to be silent and still daily, to allow space for God to bring to your attention how he's at work in and around you. God works inside and then it moves out. God works inside out. He, he opens Lydia's heart to pay attention. She's baptized and then her whole household is baptized. And then verse 15, I, I love this verse as, as well. It says, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She became so hospitable, they couldn't resist it. Lydia's faith is animated as God awakens her heart to know God and to be with God. And her faith is active and expressive. She leads her whole household to follow Jesus. And she uses her resources and wealth to give Paul and his companions a home. 
in which they can live and do ministry in Philippi. Lydia immediately engages in evangelism and practices hospitality. Lydia's household, that's not just her nuclear family, it's not just her children. The Greek word is oikos, which would have included possibly people who worked underneath her, friends who might live with her. It was, it was her community. Lydia was a leader. And as her faith is activated by God, she then speaks out for Jesus. And God uses her to see others come to faith in Christ. God uses her to build up and strengthen Paul and his companions through her hospitality. God at work, Lydia cooperating. So let me ask you, are you cooperating with God on his mission to the world? God's given you your job. He's put you at the school in which you study. He's given you your home in which you live. He's giving you the spheres of influence that you have. Are you willing to cooperate with him and speak up about Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus in those places and spaces that he's put you? And trust that it's not your skill, but it's God's work that leads people to being changed by God. He's given you all of your resources. Do you practice hospitality? Do you give your time and your money? I mean, what if Christ Central had the reputation that we prevailed upon people with hospitality? That we had the reputation that, man, those people from Christ Central are so annoyingly hospitable that we just can't resist it anymore. I mean, our text shows us that genuine contemplation, paying attention to God's work, it will lead us to hearts that are changed. And in that change, we become active in the sharing of our faith, both in word and in deed cooperating with God on his mission to the world. It brings so much joy. Like my two and a half year old running down the driveway because he gets to drive dad's car. There is no greater purpose. There's no greater meaning. There's no greater identity, Christ Central Church, than to be a child of God on God's mission to the world. What a privilege it is to cooperate with God as he works from the inside out. And what confidence and comfort we have knowing and trusting that God is the one who builds and brings his upside-down kingdom. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would open our hearts to pay attention, to know that you are good and sovereign and loving, and that in your control we still have agency to, to make decisions about how we live our life. And, and Lord, I pray in light of the transforming grace of Christ and your work in our life, that, Lord, you would cause us to, to express our faith, both in the way in which we talk about you, Jesus, with the people you put around us, the way we share about your work in our life, the, the, the ways you, you are, are at work and have been at work. Help us to proclaim this good news, God. And, Lord, help us to be hospitable, to love on and welcome in and Use all, all that you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray that you would make us a community that's not defined by class, not defined by even generations, but, but we're defined by Christ. And as Christ changes our life, Lord, make us a people that prevail upon the city of Durham and the world. We, we by your grace, would see people come to know you and baptized loved on and encouraged and treated with the, the care 
the care of Christ because of the ways you've loved and cared for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.